0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. It is June the 19th of 2019. Chris. Yes, me. Yes, you. It has been a weird few weeks for me, but I feel like I see the light at the end of the tunnel and I am ready to talk about some good manga this week. In order to do that, though, first, Chris, I have a very important question for you. Okay. How many... 90s cartoons that were very obvious rip-offs of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles do you remember?
1: I feel like I heard of a lot of them, but okay. never watched many. The only obvious ones would probably be Street Sharks right? and then Road Rovers. And Road Rovers wasn't even necessarily uh, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles rip-off. It was kind of a little bit like Power Rangers meets... T, you know, TMNT meets right. It was a parody yeah, was of like the a, time. Yeah, it thing. was sort of a weird thing all around itself. But Street Sharks, I think the only one I watched. But I've heard of like a thousand, like the right, the, right the biker mice from Mars. That was and,
0: probably the most popular uh, one.
1: The, the yeah. cow one or something like that. Like real
0: cowboys, Mesa. Yeah,
1: like I'm like these things. I guess existed. I don't know.
0: Did you ever hear of one called Extreme Dinosaurs?
1: I think I, I think I have heard of it from a very odd source. From a very odd source. So I, I really like the uh the YouTube channel Funhouse. Okay. And one of the bits that they do on their show is like they play a game while they wait for it to download, they look up porn of it. So one time they were downloading uh, like, a, like a Turok game. So they just typed in Roll 34 That's... Dinosaurs. And I remember something like Extreme Dinosaurs kept popping up.
0: I mean, that makes sense, I guess. Yeah. You're going yeah. <laughs> to have a crossover with something. Extreme Dinosaurs, was, was, I think it was on Fox Kids briefly. Um, and I remember it was one of those, you know, Like like they all did. It had a really weird like, you know, whenever you think of, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, it's got the iconic theme song. But then the ripoffs have like really weird genres of music that they'd go for. Like Street Sharks had like a kind of like jazz theme to it. And Extreme Dinosaurs had this like it was trying to be rock but I just remember it being really lame and cheesy sounding. Uh, I guess there's not so much you can do when you have to, you know, include lyrics like, um, you know, they include very clunky words like raptor and, and, and extreme dinosaurs. And the, and the course is just, you know, repeating the title over and over again. Um, but yeah. And there was, if I remember correctly, the four heroes were like a T-Rex, a Triceratops, a Stegosaurus, and a ter- and a pterodactyl, and they were all anthropomorphic,
1: mm-hmm.
0: because you know you yeah. gotta you gotta have you gotta go for the popular ones, and and the Velociraptors were the bad guys.
1: What? They're the coolest but. though.
0: That's all I remember. Literally, I could not tell you, um, a single character's name. Uh, I could tell you that the T-Rex was the leader. Oh, yeah. And the Stegosaurus was the Donatella ripoff. He was the tech guy. He
1: was, he was the smart one.
0: Right. That's all I remember about that <laughs> that's,
1: that's, how you, that's how you do it. You you put... You're like, all right, we need to boil it down to, like, at least three characters. We need a leader guy, a smart guy, and, like, a a tough guy. I, and that's generally, like... They're like, you could put more, like, maybe a funny and guy. One of,
0: and one of those three has to also be the goofy, kid-friendly one. Mm-hmm. So... Like that was what they did with the uh, real cowboys. Was there was the serious leader, there was the tough guy, and then there was the goofy guy. So yeah,
1: yeah. If you put it anyway, in that
0: the reason I wanted to talk about extreme dinosaurs, Chris, was because I thought that it would be a much more interesting and positive discussion than talking about girl Soros, and they're kind of related in terms of title. So
1: <laughs> in as much that they reference dinosaurs. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, I thought that dinosaurs would have more to
0: do, by the way, with the premise of this series, considering it's called "Girls Saurus," But literally, it's just repeated mentions of girls are scary like dinosaurs. <laughs> and that's
1: basically it. More or less. Yeah.
0: And it's a very strained metaphor, I should say.
1: Uh, no, Nick, because you know, when you think about it, they stalk around a lot. You know, Do they? Uh, depending, some are carnivores, some are herbivores. Uh, and interestingly, I don't know if you knew this, all the dinosaurs just and uh, all the girls were both wiped out by meteors uh, <laughs> like 50 million years ago, uh, which is why there are no women on this podcast, Nick.
0: Well, that's uh, shots fired. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's just proof, Nick. It's gonna have to like go out as soon as Can you like prove that we're not sexist by period of focus? <laughs> That's the positive way to address the
1: I, issue. That, but Nick, I've I haven't allowed women on this podcast because I assumed they were all dead. Is that not the case? <laughs> oh now oh. we know that women exist. Oh wow, we really need to change some things. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so
0: airtight alibi then <laughs> anyway so girlsaurus is the manga recommendation that we took that we're talking about um honestly for the most part got what i was expecting i think that when i said uh, a few weeks ago that we were going to talk about this that i just felt like covering something stupid and uh, it's pretty stupid it's one of the many you know romantic comedy harem kind of series. Uh, This one goes for for the angle that you see in a lot of others where um, the guy does not want to be involved with any of the women specifically. Um, There is an odd twist on it, uh, which is the fact that the reason that the main character doesn't want to be involved with all of these different women who all seemingly have, different degrees of the hots for him is because he actually is afraid of them. He suffers from gynophobia. Um, Now you might say like, okay, well that could be interesting. If a guy is, you know, specifically actually like has an irrational fear of these women who are throwing themselves at him, then you could play off of different things. Uh, they could, you know, frighten him in different ways. Um, he could maybe want to uh, bond with women, but he just has this rational fear of them because he specifically joins this, This I'm not sure if it's a boxing club or a wrestling club, some sort of combat club at the yeah. school that is all women. S- and he specifically joins them uh at the beginning because he wants to basically have enough confidence in himself that he can take care of himself so that he won't be afraid. It's kind of tepid uh, justification, but he ends up joining them because they're all women. And the women, the female manager is like, if you're around these women all the time, then you'll stop being afraid of them. And it's like, I guess that's one way of treating it. Sure. And, you know, he actually wants to get over this fear. He's being proactive. I'm using deliberately very vague terminology uh, at this point. I want you all to know. Uh, We'll get into the reason why in just a minute. Um, So he is trying to get over this fear, but it keeps on getting brought up because these women are actually scary. Uh, They're physically intimidating. They're aggressive. And some of them are just playing crazy. Now, the reason why this series is stupid is because... Well, the reason why our main hero, uh, Shingo, is afraid of women is because one of the protagonists, uh, Haruka, she had a crush on him and she confessed to him and he rejected her. And the reason he rejected her was because she was approximately four feet taller, weighed about 300 more pounds and stripped naked and mauled him while confessing her feelings for him. Why did she do this? Uh, I, it's because it's funny. Fat, naked women are funny. Don't Nick, you know?
1: Nick, it goes beyond that. See, there's a very poignant study within this series about women, their body, and expressing love through vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And... uh. You know, it's not because she's big. It's it's because she's she's too forward with her emotions. Uh, and actually, hold on, let me just read the rest of the series. No, it's because she's big and he doesn't like her. <laughs> and that's, that's the joke. The thing about
0: Shingo is that the reason why he actually wants to get over his fear of women is because he doesn't want to die a virgin he has the urges that a teenage male does where he wants to have a romantic relationship with a woman and sleep with her. And his irrational fear of them is linked to the fact that Harka stripped naked. So he actually is getting now terrified of tits and boobs and pussy and stuff like that. And he's like, but I want to be able to enjoy those things. And in fact, there is, there are multiple points where this, is driven home that the roots of his fear are specifically women's bodies. So when he is around unattractive women, such as uh, Kanayama, whose body is underdeveloped. She has the body of like a 10 year old. Uh, He's not afraid of her because she doesn't have tits and ass. Um, He even accidentally gropes her a couple of times and is completely unaffected uh, because she's not sexually exciting. Uh, A woman's worth, Chris, I I hope you uh, realize before reading this series, is directly linked to whether or not men find her sexually attractive or not.
1: It it goes even further than he accidentally gropes her. Uh, He continues to grope her in, like, an exploratory, like, this is weird. I I feel like I should be sexually attracted to you, but I I can't feel a bosom at all. (laughs) Like, what the hell is happening here? Uh, So this is uh, a unique series in that it finds a way to be everything I hate in manga all in one complete (laughs) shell and does every (laughs) element really poorly as well. Like it's a comedy. Take everything else out of here. I'm usually not big on on comedy manga, uh, romantic comedy in particular, and this is... An extremely bad romantic comedy. It is not funny in the slightest. Uh, I cannot think of a single redeeming mm. character. It's a very old style of series where you're like... It just doesn't have... like it, I don't know. like The gag punchline timing doesn't seem to exist very well. And there's a lot of times where jokes are just... Like... Sexually suggestive and that's the punchline... Like there's a point where a bully goes to beat up our main character, whose name I don't remember and I don't particularly care, uh, but goes to beat him up. Someone goes to fight him, and the one little like the young like the girl with the underdeveloped body, whose name I, I also can't remember, so I'm gonna call her Small Girl. Small Girl sees this happening and she she has a crush on him, so she's like, "I know a way to stop this." So she lifts up her skirt to the attacker, and that's that's the gag. That's the that's the setup. That's the punchline. That's the delivery. There's no like joke afterwards where like the characters turn to each other and are like, well, that was a fucking weird thing to do. I don't even know what that, what the point was to that. There's nothing along those lines. That's the whole gag in and of a nutshell. And it is uh, essentially the level of comedy you will get throughout the entirety of this series.
0: Yeah. Um, s- there, so I want to go over just like to explain like uh, the, the the series is like only about 20 chapters long. It had a sequel series, which neither of us read all the way through. I skipped around through it. And I think Chris just skipped it entirely. It's all the same stuff uh, to get into spoilers. Uh, Arca and Shingo end up getting together. Um, but whatever. It's a lot of the same stuff through and through of just Shingo kind of being a dick uh, just all the way through like for a guy that is trying to confront a phobia. He's incredibly unsympathetic because he's so bald faced about his intentions for wanting to get over his phobia. There's a chapter that is specifically dedicated to him. Like he's on a train and all the girls one by one uh, get close to him and they're because they're on a train they get kind of pushed together. And so he gets really freaked out by their bodies being close to him, slash in the case of Kanayama, who has an underdeveloped body, which doesn't frighten him. She's just kind of a psychopath. Uh, The gag with her is that she is incredibly aggressive and thinks that she can just manipulate Shingo into loving her. Um, Anyway, Uh, so he gets terrified and he ends up uh, going over, uh, ends up kind of stumbling into this guy Um, And the guy's like, oh, yeah, I know know, women are so freaky and stuff and they're they're so terrifying. And she goes like, oh, you understand me. Yes, I'm just like you. I love the flat chest of a man instead. And then it just like smash cuts to Shingo the next day being like, I've definitely got to get over my fear of women because that's my only other option is becoming gay. It's like. So you managed to find a way to be homophobic on top of everything else. Like, okay, cool. Uh,
1: so this series came out in the early 2000s and there's an element where I try not to be like, I, I'm certainly not going to stand on a soapbox and be like, we've certainly moved on a lot from the age of fat shaming. Because look. I'm the last person, I'd be an enormous hypocrite if I was like, hey, didn't you have a podcast where the main joke for, like, four years was insulting one of your co-hosts? Wait, look, I understand, these things are there. But even in the early 2000s, this shit was considered, like, when you made, like, the gag of it like that, it was always considered low-class and, and, like, <laughs> shameful. Like, the, the Jack Black movie, Shallow Hal is always, like, one people kind of point to. as like, even back in the day, people were like, this is a little, <laughs> a little tasteless, isn't it? Um oh, and they keep on because they keep
0: on making the same joke all the time like in case you forgot this hot girl used to be fat and that's why Shingo's scared of her like
1: <laughs> and it's just there's
0: every a, chapter it seems to come up
1: and maybe like if i was like well the series is, is is super strong on all these other laurels maybe i can not overlook it but i could still like, digest and appreciate it for what it is. It, you can't do that. It, it's garbage in every way. Like, the characters are all, you know, either flat, uh, non-existent, or just boring. Like, they're just not amusing in any way. And then there's there's just moments where you're like, this series is... maybe has one of the most unlikable protagonists of all time. Like, you brought up that moment. There's another one later where... A bully comes up like a a guy from another school and he's like I want to see Haruka or whatever her name is. And he he fell in love with her. He actually does love her, but he loves her back when she was larger. He doesn't like he doesn't even recognize her now. And there's two things that are annoying about this one is that uh, they of course have to establish that he has a fat fetish. That That's the reason why. Mm-hmm. It couldn't be anything else. He's, he's, a, like, he's a chubby chaser. He's like, yes. I like, I like fat girls. Fine. Whatever. Do you, man. But the thing that's really fucking heinous is that the main character looks to her when this guy announces, like, I have, I love her. And he, he gets jealous. And he gets angry. And you're like, dude, you haven't given a fuck about her until someone else expressed interest. And then they go on to literally have a fight with her as a prize at the end. <laughs> and you're like, I mean, I don't know what you want, man. There's there's nothing rewarding from this. You do get at least the mild amusement that she beat the shit out of both of them before the fight. So it's not even really a contest, but it's still one of these things where you're just like, I, I don't know who this is for. It's for somebody and i hope that person experiences other media than this because it's a really bad way of looking at almost every aspect involved with this Mm
0: -hmm. the series is also really inconsistent in deciding what the relationship between shingo and haruka is because the thing about it is that uh shingo doesn't recognize haruka at first but haruka recognizes him and she resents him because she you know put her entire heart out there for him and he rejected her um She doesn't seem to make the connection of, oh, it's because I literally physically assaulted him uh, and I feel remorse for that. So there is this like love hate relationship between them that just seems to rebound back and forth, depending on what the joke of the chapter is. Um, Sometimes uh, she resents him. Sometimes she uh, loves him, but expresses it through abuse. Sometimes Shingo thinks that she's hot. Uh, sometimes he doesn't understand whether he likes her or not. Sometimes he thinks that she hates her him and so on. It just goes back and forth. Uh, there's like one character in the series that isn't completely hateable, which is uh, Sato, the tomboy, because she's just a nice girl, you know, and her entire thing is that like she just wants to hang out with Shingo like bros um, and he she she makes him uncomfortable because she's very like, doesn't really care about, you know, taking her clothes off and stuff because, oh, joke. And she's got boobies and that scares him and stuff. But it's like, okay, well, she just, you know, wants to hang out and be friends. That's fine. Mm. And then like the club advisor is an incredibly vain, narcissistic, psychotic person who is so over the top that it's kind of impossible to hate her. So, Whatever. Also, she got like probably the one good joke, I think, of the entire series, which is um, there's a bit where um, Shingo is sick at home because the day before each of the girls through different levels of inadvertent abuse uh, ended up harming him. And so he's gotten the shit kicked out of him. So he stays home sick the the next day from school. And there's a moment where all four of them in a row are reflecting on. it's like, oh, maybe it's because I did this. And, you know, or, oh, maybe it's because I just, you know, like got pissed off and slapped him and that kind of thing. And they all feel they all reflect on that. I was like, oh, I guess the, I must be the reason that he's homesick from school. And so Haruka and Kanayama and Sato all at the same time think, I should go visit him at home and make sure that he's doing OK. And uh, Fuso is like, I should go to the mall and get some shopping done today. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> dismisses it immediately from her mind. Like, okay, that's pretty funny. Um, but yeah, uh, when it gets into DX, it gets really weird. Uh, at the end, when like Harka and Shingo are a couple, Kanayama resorts to like trying to bully Haruka into backing off from Shingo. Like she does all the you know like typical Japanese classmate abuse, like you know, smearing her name. Uh, you know, like saying like Hark has a slot on the on her desk and shit like that. It's like, wow, turns out that all these characters are awful. Um, I don't like any of them. And most of the jokes aren't funny. And it's in general just really mean spirited. Um, If you find this series funny, good for you. Um, But I will say up front, uh, you probably are going to know exactly what kind of series you're getting into from like the first chapter. There you go. This uh, author wrote *Bitter Virgin*. Amazingly, um, yeah,
1: like... that's that's what's so astonishing to me. <laughs> like, it's ask? like, because you think of one relationship series, and you're like, we we've discussed a lot of really good romance series, and what I keep going back to is *Bitter Virgin*, and I'm like, I've never, it's it's always struck me so well that I was like, I've I'm so happy that there's a romance manga out there that ends with the two characters breaking up and it's a natural thing and was still good for both of them and you're like how can you have such a healthy view of relationships at least at the end of that series and then there's this thing and you're like there's nothing rewarding to take from it here I, I didn't see anything that was particularly good
0: <sighs> I don't know man if I remember correctly hang on, let me look this up real quick so Girlsource DX ran through December of two thousand eight and Bitter Virgin Bitter Virgin was running at the same time as this as the sequel series. Like she was running both of them at the same time. That's weird, man. It's so weird that you have, you know, like a character like one series where a character has a fear of you know, the opposite sex in both of them, and then they have such different tones and levels of quality (laughs) going at the
1: same time. (laughs) All right. Sometimes it just be like that, I guess.
0: That is not how things should be, but they do. Yeah. All right.
1: Uh, So (laughs) to, to give it a recommendation, I don't. You can avoid it if you really desperately want to find out if this is something you're going to enjoy as nick said read the first chapter and if in the first chapter you're like yeah no i think i'm good you are you are
0: anyway <laughs> let's move on we've got other manga to discuss this week we do not quite as many do we do that Not quite as show? many as usual yeah that's what we that's what we recap
1: weekly manga yeah. All right, I'm mean, gonna close all these recipes down, I guess. Then.
0: Oh, okay. I mean, I'll share my banana bread next time. But all right. Recap portion with Kamanga. Recap. Let's do my it. My Hero, My Hero Academia, Chapter Number Two and Thirty Two: Meta Abilities and Quirks. So, uh, twice, uh, went up the elevator to confront Redestro to try and save Jiren, and he immediately starts summoning clones. Uh, and uh, we not he only summons clones of himself, but each of the clones also summons another member of the League of Villains. So he's got a Shikaraki clone, a Dobby clone and a Mr. Compress clone. And very interestingly, there is the detail where both Dobby and Mr. Compress are like, what the fuck is going on? Because twice explains like, all right, you guys weren't around when I explained that I got over my trauma and I'm now able to clone myself. So therefore, you guys don't know about that huh so whoever he clones has the mindset as far as he knows that they have it Uh interesting there's also a little bit of uh, dispute among the about among the Twice clones over which one of them is the original. It's none of them.
1: Uh, <laughs> well, I, do, I do like how they're like, I'm the original. No, I'm the real one. And then one of them's like, shut up, it doesn't matter. We're all linked in our hearts and that's what matters.
0: And, like, and when and then he runs towards Re-de- uh, Jiren to try and save him and his head explodes <laughs> because then, Redestro kills him.
1: And then the one's like, I knew that one was a fake. <laughs>
0: Um, We don't exactly get an explanation of what Redestro's quirk ability is. It seems to be somewhat similar to one of the quirks that was demonstrated by uh, All for One, because one of his limbs gets really large uh, and also seems to have the same blackness uh, that his birthmark uh, or whatever his mask mark thing has on it. It seems to power up his body as it spreads to different parts of it. Um, and, uh, he basically almost immediately destroys almost all of the clones, uh, with one swipe of this giant hand that he summons. Uh, but as one of the twice clones is, uh, starting to fade away, he glomps out another twice clone. It's <laughs> like, ah, well, that's very, very twice is super powerful. Um, <laughs> It's one of those things where everyone keeps on saying like, you don't realize how strong you are. No, he really does not. If he can make a bunch of Dobbies that can shoot fire, you know, and he can just summon as many as he wants. The only problem is that he doesn't have very strong control of himself. So. i going um, to
1: put a limiter on that sort of power, though.
0: He would just end up fighting with himself if he summoned too many people. You can also play around a lot with that in terms of like plot devices. Uh, you know, you could end up cloning a dead person, for example, so. Uh, the twice clone gets really upset when he sees the state that Jiren is in seeing, oh yeah, his fingers really have been chopped off of his hand. Uh, I do like the detail that it's, he's really pissed off that it's the right hand that he would use to smoke his cigarettes because it's, just, it's really personal detail. Um, So twice starts the twice clone starts to get really upset about this. And then Redestro comes in and is like, oh, your little band is not qualified for this. You will crumble in the face of our will. The Shigaraki clone comes out from nowhere, nearly touches him with uh, his hands. He just like kind of nicks him with one finger. Um, And Redestro is shocked that he's still alive. And then he starts to monologue. Um, We don't really see a whole lot. Uh, getting a whole lot of new information. Um, He reiterates the fact that he is Destro's son. Uh, He talks about the origins of Destro, which is that, you know, there was this baby that had a meta ability and his mother defended him from the prejudice that he faced. Um, And her words that, you know, this ability is just a quirk of my child ended up becoming like a rallying cry for the meta liberation movement and the judgment uh, that was handed down by the, by governments saying like, okay, you know, we can foster this, these abilities and we can pretend we can govern them and so on and so forth saying this while he's beating the crap out of the Shigaraki clone. Um, And he says that the, what the governments have done regarding meta abilities It's only served to suppress them more. It's just, you know, they've they've changed the label that they've put on that suppression, but they have not actually been fostering it or anything. They have actually been working to uh, restrict the utilization of them. And Destro understood this and he sought to remake the world so the meta abilities could truly be called quirks. And uh, he says, like, my his blood runs through my veins Does your pitiful gang of thugs with nothing but the urge to destroy carry any of that burden of history that we do? And then the Shigaraki clone is like, well, I'm going to die in a second. So it doesn't matter that you've told me all of this information because none of us are going to remember this. (laughs) (laughs) He actually says to uh, the Twice clone that he's going to need to cushion Jiren's fall because I saw him out down there out the window a second ago. Get ready, because he's going to touch the tower. I know it, because that's what I would do. And meanwhile, down on the ground, just outside the tower, the real Shigaraki touches the building, and the entire thing disintegrates. <laughs> um, it's pretty crazy. Redestro survives, which uh, prompts Shigaraki to go, "Huh? people are, usually die if they fall from that height, so I guess that you're the boss. Wait a minute. Aren't you the guy from those Dittnerat commercials? Because, of course, he wasn't there for any of the explanation of who Redestro is, which I do actually really appreciate. <laughs> um, This is an odd chapter. It Actually, in my mind, despite the fact that it showed off Redestro's ability uh, and how strong he is, made him seem much less intimidating, considering that he goes on this very stereotypical villain monologue that no one is going to appreciate because they're all immediately going to die and forget it. <laughs> so,
1: uh, Yeah, it's odd. I do... I, I assume somebody must have talked to him about it, but I'm a little concerned about Horikoshi here that I assume some lawyer was able to be like, it's different enough, but I, I hesitant to think that there's not going to be something to the fact that uh, Redestro at the very end there is like, oh, you're just spawn an alternate color scheme there. Because it's <laughs> the exact same fucking pattern. I was like, oh, is it, don't you have to be a little bit more uh, different than that? Like, I get that he's a businessman, but um, I do like that he looks cool there. I made the joke on Twitter that I was like, okay, another my hero villain whose power is if I touch you, I kill you. We've had a few of those at this point. So Mm -hmm. I hope that there's a little bit more to it than just like, oh like obviously there's something there is, you know his limb got super large, but I'll be curious to see if there's more to his power than just like I get big and hurt you and kill you or something like that. Mm -hmm. So It's fine. There's honestly, like despite the fact this feels like it should be a super significant chapter. It's not one that I had like a ton of investment in. I think I'm more interested. It's weird because I'm kind of getting excited. I'm like, fuck yeah, Shigaraki's here now. And I'm like, he's the bad guy. You shouldn't cheer for him. I'm like, who am I supposed to cheer? I don't know. And suddenly, Vitzik Man in the corner of an office is like, I was right. They're too stupid to handle two villains fighting each other at the same time.
0: I do appreciate. uh, I I think that it's really cool what Shigaraki actually does. Just, uh, I've got to get up onto that building. (laughs)
1: <laughs> it is cool. I'm, I'm curious to see because usually when you have these like big finale kind of fights in a manga, you want them to be like in a like cinematic sort of location. So I wonder if it's gonna just take place around the rubble or if maybe the fight moves somewhere mm. else.
0: Yeah. or if we'll just cut some to something else because that's happened a couple of times in this uh, um, battle.
1: I so. imagine so I, I feel like there's st- well we know that Spinner probably is gonna have his fight. And I have to assume Mr. Compress does something. Currently the most Mr. Compress has done in this like arc so far has been become a clone and ask dude questions. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Alright. It's the final chapter of Food Wars.
1: Let's do it, Nick.
0: Chapter 315, Shokugeki no Soma. That's not the name of the series, that's the name of the chapter. Before we get into this, I do want to say the two-page color spread of Soma at the beginning, the fact that it mirrors the two-page color spread in Chapter 1, I think that's a nice touch. And uh, it's it's a cool little uh, visual that Soma has there. So, it's the final Shokugeki of the blue between Soma and Arina. Soma has presented an evolution of the first dish that he ever had Arina try out. Beginning of this chapter, she tastes it. She has a big old orgasm. Um, It's good. There's a page or so of why it's good, and she gets kind of pissed off about how much better it is, and she thinks how much how hard has he trained and practiced in order to make this single dish. And uh, Selma says that uh, you know I switched a few of this stuff out, and then there's the post poached egg, uh, and I changed and arranged the heck out of every bit of it. And Ariana actually remembers back during the hell camp, which was a little thing that they did before the autumn tournament. Uh, like, Oh, the eggs Benedict thing. That was the first dish that you could hear saw me make. Well, why'd you make this dish though? And Soma says back then I got it together and managed to pass that trial. But in the end, you beat the p- pants off me in terms of plates sold Ever since I've been studying how you made that dish and what did you do that made it so much better than mine, how could I tweak it to work with my cooking style? And I did all of it just so that someday I could serve it back to you and make you admit that you think my cooking tastes good. So there's a couple of comments that so go under this dish, and that's nice. Yeah. Uh, and Mana, who is watching all of this, uh, equates him to, you know, Every other chef that she's seen do this too, you know, especially Azami. You know, even the more and more that they went through the storm, they eventually their confidence crumbled, and all of their offerings were timid and dispirited. Even Azami was worried over over stressing me that he stuck too close to tradition, presented dishes that were delicious but never more than a one hundred out of one hundred. But this boy, uh, someone points out, hey, you know, I think feel like you're forgetting something. You're Forgetting who you're, you should be cooking for. You know, you've been weak-willed all this time, and that's not like you. So just be true to yourself. Who's the person you most want tasting your food right now? And he doesn't say it out loud, but he's thinking, of course, it's your mom. Erina eats some more of the dish, and while she eats it, she concentrates on how much she has missed her mother, uh, how much she has wanted her mother to say. You know, that she enjoys her cooking. In the same way that someone wants Zarina to say that for her. And as she eats, the gifting occurs. But instead of people being stripped, the building is stripped. The walls come crumbling down, Chris. Most lots of building destruction going on this week in manga.
1: It's actually and, maybe my favorite part of the whole chapter because I love how it's that again, that level of like insane stupidity that made Food Wars so enjoyable, where it's like We've done everything. We've had the entire stadium disrobe because of a gifting twice now. How do we escalate it for like the big arena final and uh, uh, like moment there? And it's like the fucking world disrobes for them. Then. And I was <laughs> like, fuck yeah.
0: The walls come crumbling around them. Uh, the moon shines in from behind Aaron as she puts the bowl down after finishing it. Takumi and Megumi are like, that's it. She's done it. She's going to say it now. She's going to s- talk about how great someone's cooking is. And Aaron just says, disgusting. <laughs> and she you know, slams her face, her hand down and says that was completely unacceptable. Or at least it will be once compared to the dish I'm about to make. And Soma gets a happy grin in his face, like, now you're talking. Mana is like, now I shall deliver the moral of the story. <laughs> uh, and she says, giving your very best for one person, not just once, but consistently through the years, that may indeed be the path that Sunday leads to a dish the world has never seen. So, okay. That's not very different from what you were talking about, but all right. <laughs> And uh, Arina starts to get ready to make her dish for the contest. She's like, hey, why are you smirking? And someone says, no reason. I was just thinking that you're probably going to act the same way no matter how old you get. And Arina gets really pissed off when when she hears that. And says, you know, I would get used to failure if I were you. Because try as hard as you like, your cooking will never surpass mine. And someone's like, oh, yeah? Well, you think you're going to get me to give up? I'm not. They're still rivals. (laughs) Um, But Soma thinks to himself, if it wasn't for you, I never would have made it this far. I needed someone as stubborn and contrary as you to keep pulling me forward. He thinks to himself, Dad, I think finally I've made a dish that I can completely call my own. And we get a final brief montage of all of our favorite characters. Where is Alice? Except Alice. Um,
1: (laughs) (laughs) All of our favorite characters, but not Alice. But the other Aldini brother made it in.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's it. So we see Megumi with the Aldini brothers, Yoshino and not Ryoko, along with the um Ishiki? Ishiki. Uh, Kurokiba and Hayama. Fumio. Um, I guess Dojima and Joichiro, it looks like. Mm-hmm. And then Asahi with, like, his bag over his shoulder, like, I'm off to go and be unredeemable somewhere else. And then Ariana smiling as she gets ready to make her dish. And Soma says, this ain't over yet. Let's say we get this party started and have ourselves another match. And that's the end. That's the end of the Food Wars. Um, Okay. This chapter in a bottle is all right. It's it's pretty good, I would say. I feel like this would be much better if there were more coming after this, because it's it, it very much as like, and the adventure continues uh, kind of feeling to this. It's one of those kind. It feels like a cha- a chapter that's at the end of a series that's ended after. 18 chapters as opposed to 315. (laughs) It feels very sudden and weird.
1: I do like that. It doesn't end with the conclusion to the match because Mm -hmm. we're able to sit there and say, okay, Soma snapped Erina out of it. I don't know why she was ever out of it to begin with, but whatever she was out of it, uh, snapped her out of it. And because of it, she returns to her old fun personality and she's like, cool. Now I'm going to prove to you that I'm better. And we don't get to see which one's better. It's something that we can argue because it's the top, you know, the top seat of the the council versus the dean of the school. So, you know, there's a level where we, the readers, can kind of have discussions going forward as to who we think maybe wins this matchup, and you know, doesn't have to place like a, a final stamp on anything. I enjoy it for that. I also <laughs> enjoy it because we we get that moment of someone being like, "I finally made a dish that's mine," and although. Like, we've been kind of conditioned throughout this series to see everyone as having, like, a cooking style that is, like, their stand or their devil fruit or something like that. Someone doesn't really have one besides I make shit into different shit eventually. (laughs) But you do look at it and you're like, it's reminiscent of the first dish he cooked for Arena. It includes an element that he saw, like, it was the first thing he ever saw her make. And it's all filled with an emotion of him caring about her and trying to get her out of this moment. And you're like, yeah, that is distinctly a dish that is very centric to Soma and his personality. And I, I do really enjoy that. You know, it, it's not like they were like halfway through the series. Like, I don't know, maybe, maybe he's really good at like fucking bohemian cooking or something like that. <laughs> like he, 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 learns a lot of Jamaican spices. <laughs> we gotta do something for him. So I, I do like that. They, they did make it pretty unique to him. Um, and in a lot of ways, I like this as a final chapter. Uh, you almost kind of just wish there wasn't an entire arc that led to this. You you almost wish that we could have just cut everything from the end of the team Shokugeki to this. And then we'd be like, sure, because you're not missing anything. Like, there was tell
0: wrong. this story in, like, ten chapters or something.
1: Not even that. Where where
0: Arena I... is just like... Erin is doing business as usual as the Dean. Everyone's doing cool. Her mother shows up to judge a contest and she gets really, really nervous because of all of her history with her. You go over that in a couple of chapters. She has a contest with Soma as you just kind of like do a montage through the tournament that they've been to get to this point. Because let's be honest, nothing else that happened in the tournament mattered at all. Um, none of the stuff with Sukasa, with Takumi, Megami, Asahi even. Was of any consequence. Um, You get to this point where like. Arianne's confidence is shot. Because she's got to present a dish to her mother. That she thinks is going to be completely hopeless. Soma gets this determination. To get her out of her funk. And that's it. You could do that in a much much shorter time. And it would probably be a lot more effective. Because there wouldn't be all this filler. That doesn't matter. Um, The chapter in itself is not the problem. It's the fact that it comes at the end of this incredibly unsatisfying arc with a very uncompelling villain, um, that basically used a bunch of other characters as sacrificial pawns to make him look more intimidating when he wasn't, uh, it, it was a bad time. And, uh, this just kind of like, a mediocre cap to uh, an arc that's been really, really bad.
1: There's this moment that I almost want to enjoy, but there's, there's something so annoying about the fact that this whole arc, the the whole drama with, uh, Arina has been centered around the fact that her mom, her mother, Mana was here and had tasted so many dishes that she reached a point where she's like, ah, I need something that goes beyond. And I must, uh, food no longer has value to me i subsist off of fucking uh, iv drips at this point and food is mostly disgusting to me now and only these heights that even a chef who she claims could make s- dishes that were a hundred out of 100 couldn't satisfy her palate and we have to reach that point and she's this 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 kind of boogeyman like figure in the world of gourmet, and this, this traumatic element that brings out the worst in Arena is there. And then they make this dish, and she's like, Hmm, I believe I have learned a lesson now. Perhaps waiting, and maybe someone will make something. Like, there's no real <laughs> lesson she learned. She eats a dish, and she's like, I suppose I've learned everything now. And now, like the <laughs> wizard sage I am, I shall deposit le- lessons to you all. And I'm like, fuck off. You're the worst fucking character in this goddamn series. I, I'll i take a thousand shitty Asahi's ruining characters, than what this fucking bitch did showing up and just assassinating Arena's character for four fucking arcs or for four, 40 fucking chapters so we could have some fake climax at the end of it where Soma has to wake wow. up. There is nothing to this shit.
0: Oh, God. So uh, someone actually remembered that I had said I was going to do this. Uh, Some of you have probably seen me do that. I did this on Twitter. Um, So (laughs) I can't remember exactly when I said I was going to do this, but I promised that if Megami did not get a standout victory, that I was going to send a message in Japanese to Sakuta Yuto, the author of, Shon- of uh, Shogiraki no Soma, on Twitter, uh, I uh, actually randomly was going through my bookmarks the other day, and I found that, and I was like, "All oh, right, I need to send him that." <laughs> and then, like the next day, someone said, "What are you going to do that?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, I guess I am." <laughs> so I sent him the message on t- on Twitter, um, but basically, just it just r- reads very straightforwardly. Sukuda sensei why did Megami not get a big win uh, in Japanese? I haven't gotten a reply on it, but I didn't expect to. Because, I mean, would you reply to a message like that? As someone was like, hey, why didn't you do the thing in this book? Like, no. But um, I'm glad that, people, that other people agreed with my sentiment and uh, were also upset. So,
1: <laughs> You know, and maybe one day he will respond to your message and he's going to be like, dearest Nicholas <laughs>
0: NJX3 Ninja Ninja says it was just after making lost to Momo which sounds about right because uh, that was the last important match that she had um, besides this arc so. Nick,
1: she defeated the guy who used the Chinese shut faces. up <laughs> 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 and immediately Asahi was like that guy sucked <laughs> that guy was poop that <laughs> wasn't an impressive victory at all I could beat you using poop
0: Someone uh, mess replied to me on Twitter saying, "Like, what isn't the fact that she managed to, you know, find accomplishments and get on the council and stuff? Isn't that her big win?" I'm like, "That's not how shonen works. I'm sorry." <laughs> it's
1: also not rewarding. Like,
0: it doesn't. It doesn't matter that she led a rewarding life when it comes down to a shonen battle series.
1: But <laughs> you even say it's not even. It's. It's one. It's you know that big lesson of like show don't tell. Like we didn't see her gain happiness we're like right we're just
0: told that she's good now yeah Yeah.
1: everyone's like well she has a lot of potential well does that potential like equal like a big win at some point yeah i guess at some point it probably does that's how she's on the council you're like do we get to see it no does she get a cool big victory after that no but just understand she's really good now and i'm like well then fuck off man don't don't shit in my mouth and tell me it's ice cream I mean, it
0: would be like if I say, like, oh, I'm really good now because, you know, I've got a different colored belt on my gi. It's Mm -hmm. like, okay, are you any better at fighting? Well, I mean, I'm going to lose all the fights that I have still. So you won't be able to tell.
1: Look, and people keep bringing bringing it up. They're like, well, she also beat this person. She beat this. She beat minor throwaway villains in Shokugeki's that were only meant to show off how cool she was. Like. It was meant to be like, "Hey, look, she's good," but any time she went up against someone of any level of strength, she lost. And no other character who was supposed to be kind of significant like that has that. You look and you're like, "Oh, Hayama won the Fall Classic. Uh, Aldini beat which member of the Council did he beat in the Team Shokugeki's? I know he lost to Sukasa. Oh, he beat Eisen. Eisen, yeah. He didn't he? Didn't he beat someone else?
0: In the Team Shokugeki? I don't think so. No.
1: Huh. For some reason, I thought he beat someone else as well. But, like, he he beat significant people there. Um, you know, uh, Kurokiba beat Megumi to get where he was. Like, we saw that there are characters that had these, like, important things, and you're able to kind of, like, build things off of that, but, like, we never saw Megumi have one of those victories. And Mm -hmm. for a long time, she just lost. So... We she, she did
0: really well but she lost yeah. and that didn't change basically you know if she that's the thing about it is just it was always the same thing as like oh she came close but she lost it's like all right well she's got to get over that hurdle in order for all this to have a payoff and that moment never really came yeah. that's all I'm saying about it is that in the in the setup that was given there was no payoff and that's just, and that's not satisfying yeah. now uh There was no announcement of this in the Shonen Jump version of the chapter, but there uh, was an announcement in, like, the original magazine that says that there are going to be three, like, epilogue chapters running in Jump Giga. I don't know if we're going to get those on Viz or not, um, but uh, we will see. I think that those are supposed to be coming out next month. I'm not sure. So... We'll see. And uh, hey, maybe they'll do a better job of wrapping up the series.
1: Very possible.
0: All right. With that done, let's move over to two chapters of Eden Zero, Chris. Is it two chapters? 48 and 49. I didn't read 48. 48. Uh, it doesn't really matter it's about all stuff It's about
1: all the stuff that you would expect happens, honestly. <laughs> all right, because right, I was like, I saw the first page and I was like, oh, it must be like the the visual from the fight from before. All right, well, you know what? For the sake of abridging it, uh, I'm just going to talk about chapter forty nine because I didn't read forty eight it doesn't look like here,
0: it's on. What happens in forty eight? Um, says, and I quote, "Droolity drool" at one point. OK, Um, the replica of Valkyrie that Humora beat was actually like an Android simulation um, that was just, I guess, running a simulation program thing. And it, it doesn't really matter. It's not whatever. It wasn't the real Valkyrie one way or the other. Anyway, Jaume is like, I'll answer your question. And they're like, where can we find the real Valkyrie over here? Uh, but she also as they're leaving Uh, says, I'm going to tell you one more thing because you guys did a really good job of entertaining me. Mother actually exists. In fact, Mother is the person who gave me my time oracle powers. And so they're like, oh, okay. And Weiss is like, or rather, uh, Rebecca's like, does that mean you know where Mother is? And she says, no, because also I don't know where Mother is. I'm going to just keep on adding exceptions to my know-everything ability as I remember them she says that in exchange for her powers, I lost my memory of Mother's location as well as my right to that information. So, okay, fine. So they still got to actually find her. Um, and uh, they say, like, okay. Um, she says, Mother is the parent of the universe, the great sorceress. It is said that there is no wish the Mother cannot grant. Now, this is the one part of the, of the chapter that I, we need to talk a little bit about um, because everyone's like, she can grant any, any wish. And so... In order, here's what everyone says. Pino says, I want to be human. Aww. Why says, I want to be rich. Rebecca says, a famous beekeeper." cuber Happy says, lots of fish.
1: There you go.
0: Everyone's dreams suck except for Pino's.
1: <laughs> I mean, at least it <laughs> wasn't
0: like... I'm a what? constant, <laughs> I want to be rich. I want to be a famous B cuber.
1: <laughs> I want to be a big time YouTube celebrity. <laughs> like, fuck off, dude! You can probably do that. They <laughs> um, um,
0: leave, and Jaime is like, "I'm going to go back to being the narrator now."
1: <laughs> uh, all right, let's talk about the chapter I did read, though. Chapter forty-nine, Captain Connor. So we start with our characters having flown away and they need to go to the planet of Sun Jewel which is where Valkyrie is and they're like well we have to take a detour because to the travel there is, like in a straight path is like through an asteroid field it's super dangerous so we're we're not going to be able to do that uh basically the ship can't like instantaneously warp travel anywhere it have not it hasn't been before which seems like a weird condition for it to have it's like a fast travel system in a video game where they're like well you haven't been there before you can't go there yet and they're like but it exists, right? Like someone's been there, isn't it? Just coordinates to like, uh, we didn't put the system memory in for that, so you got to travel there first, <laughs> log a point or something first. Uh, so they're gonna head over there, and as they're sailing along, they look out, and there's a giant school of sea fish, space fish, whatever it is, uh, who are just sailing by, swimming by. It's 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 like an ocean. Space is like an ocean. And they're all kind of commenting, like, wow, it's so cool. They're all like really cool looking fish. And then someone notices that there's something special inside that school of fish. And they see a, a guy in a spacesuit holding onto a captain's wheel floating in space. And uh, everyone's like, it sounds like he's trying to say something. And then they uh, tune in and he's like, help me. <laughs> <laughs> So they pull him on board. And he's like, Oi, Britan Uh I know this guy should have like the old sea captain. But I want I be the sea to, dog. I want him to be like a stereotypical Irish guy. He's like, Oi I be Captain Go Connor and Oi be a ship captain I be. Uh, and he explains. He's like, uh I'm the ship's captain. Uh my ship went down, and I'm a very good captain, so I refused to give up the helm, even as everything else was destroyed, and I just drifted off into space with the rest of the sea fish. <laughs> and everyone's like, this is insane. And he sits there, and his stomach starts growling, and he's like, oi, I believe I have reason to suspect me stomach may be because me hungry. And everyone's like, fucking yeah, dude. <laughs> of course That's what it means. So he's just sitting there. He's he's eating food. He's like, "Oh, I didn't know I was in the Sakura Cosmos. I'm from the Owl Cosmos. That's that's crazy." And uh, they, you know, he's like, ah, "I'd like to meet the captain of your ship," and uh, which is like, "Here you go." It's Shiki, and he's like, "I never thought that <laughs> bitches and children would be the able to fly a ship." So what
0: quickly. is Weiss chopped liver?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I never thought that bitches and cyborgs could sail a ship as well as they do. Uh, and then he stands up and he's like, we'll be taking over captainship of this ship. And everyone's like, no. Uh, obviously the conversation abruptly ended there with no further follow-up because the next shot we see is of Captain Connor sleeping in bed. And everyone's talking about how they hate this. They're like, we don't like this guy. We don't even really trust him. And it's basically Cheeky who's like, I think we should trust him. He's kind of funny and I like him. There's a whole scene of uh, the girls taking like a bath, talking about how they don't like him. And then Captain Connor shows up and he's talking about how there's beautiful women in the Sakura cosmos. Uh, and he's like, Oi, but I'm not trying to come on to you though. Uh, and then they kick him in the face. Uh, and we see basically there's just a collage of the things he's doing around the ship. He's like, oi, get me clothes now. I look like a proper Captain Me Do. Oi, there be a button that says push me. Thinks me should push it, I shall. And uh, he also is teaching bad uh, bad language to Pino. He's like, screw you. She's like, screw, it's for you. He's like, oi, no, you stupid robot. Screw you. And there's there's just like small little comedy moments there. But again, everyone's like, Clearly this guy's evil. And then suddenly there's, like, this big warning, like, alarm going off. And they're, like, somebody has changed the ship's destination. Like, someone's trying to activate the ship. And they're, like, hey, what the fuck are you doing, guys? And he's, like, ooh, you told me where you were headed. It would take three days to get there. Put a coach there in one. And they could see Sun jewels in front of them. And they're, like, how the fuck did you do that? They're, like, there was just, like, the straight path there was full of of asteroids and he's like I navigated around them (laughs) (laughs) and everyone's like how are you able to do that that's like that's insane what like who are you and he's like "We, I be the captain he pulls off his glove and he says I be the captain of a ship called Heaton's One
0: dun dun dun
1: it's a very cool reveal at the end of the chapter there
0: it's a weird chapter
1: this it's... is the best chapter that has happened to me in Zero. I fucking love this character. He just <laughs> strikes every nerve for me in the right way. I just love how fucking stupid he is. <laughs> like, just a shot of him, like, his stomach gurgling. He's like, I don't think I'd be hungry. I think that's why. And then he just goes up and he's like, a button I see. I think we should push it. I shall.
0: I don't know what the hell the plan for this guy is. It was interesting. And also, I have to say, like, what the fuck kind of security is there on the Eden Zero that he spends an entire day altering the navigation course of their ship and that takes them until they arrive at the plan for them to be actually get into the control room? Like, what were they even doing into the entire time? Because he says it takes him a day to do it.
1: I think, that- I think the idea is just that he does he does the shortcut and navigates them there immediately. Like there should there still should be time once they realize they're not on that trajectory. Like we're just supposed to get the idea it's like oh he basically got them there instantaneously by navigating but like ignore the fact that like even like unless he's doing it at light speed dodging asteroids it still would take some time. Wee! <laughs> Whatever. I'm fine with it. It 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 got me to the point where he looks cool, and it's a cool little review of like uh, I'm I'm a really good captain. I w- I was worried they were just gonna go for like the same angle they do a lot of the time, where it's like, hey, I met this character. Oh, he's evil because he likes peeping on women and shit like that. And like, no, he's just some goofy old fucking sailor dude. <laughs> I love him. I, if anything bad happens to him, I'm not going to read this series anymore. If they kill Captain Connor, <laughs> I'm gone.
0: Anyway, so Admiral Okita is now a part of Eden Zero, so we're good. We're to uh, that's where we're at now. Hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. I don't really, I haven't really settled uh, on whether or not I like this guy, unlike you. So, uh, well, I, I we'll
1: have see. enough love for the boat of us.
0: I guess. Did you say the boat of us? Yeah, a little. Because he's a ship's captain. Hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> I can't even hate you for that pun now <laughs> alright let's move on to Samurai 8 the tale of Hachimaru chapter 6 Samurai Fate Samurai of Fate whatever
1: I remember a in the chat saying I hope his <laughs> powers to grow really big and get beaten this gets hit
0: once <laughs> Oh, Chris! All the fun we could have had if Makarov had a a weird Irish accent.
1: <laughs> Oy, I'm big now. Oh, my one weakness. Somebody can <laughs> stronger than me. Oh, it's time for me to have a heroic sacrifice now. It is. Oh, I survived that one too. <laughs> Oi, they teleported me away but before the bad things could happen. wait to 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 to.
0: Chris, it's time for more explanation of how samurai powers work. Okay. This is actually an important one, though, because it's like, this is like the dynamic for how samurais operate and what their like philosophy is supposed to be and stuff. So we'll go, back, we'll go through this. Uh, Daruma opens up his head and he pops his mechanical spine out in order to use it as a projector to use visuals for Hachimaru because Hachimaru's stupid, basically. And he said, OK, listen, you are a samurai. That does not mean you are powerful on your own. The three components are samurai, key holder and princess. When these three become one, the samurai's true power is unlocked. This has been known as the Trinity since the olden days. And Hachimari wasn't paying attention because when Dharma opened up his skull, he to open up, to reveal his spine, he got an idea, which was to open and close his face a whole bunch as a joke, which honestly is the most that I have liked Hachimaru in the entire series because it's like, Hey, my face opens up. (laughs) 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 And he's just goofing around with Hayataro instead of paying attention to Dharma, which gets Dharma really pissed off. And then his head gets stuck and now he can't close it anymore. Yay. So, uh, the samurai is the key basically the thing that ties the key to the key holder is the bone handle that connects them together. There is, but there's another invisible connection that is even more important that between uh, the princess and the samurai. But again, Hachimura isn't really paying much attention. And Hachimara's was like, how come I can't get strong without a princess? And H- and Dharma says, it's not about getting strong or not. It is only by having someone to protect that a samurai strives to be strong. That is a samurai's heroism. And Hachimura was like, I am And Dharma says, Explain it yeah. to me. He says, Look, okay, but let's train how to use the handle bone. And, uh, Ajimaru does the thing that Dharma did in the last chapter, drawing out power from his gut, combining it with the bone handle. Uh, but, uh, he has trouble getting it up. It, uh, just goes, just blah, flops over. And Dharma's like, Ah, it happens to everyone. Um, uh, that's literally basically what happens. <laughs> uh, he explains that, you know, this requires training and discipline. And Hachimara's like, Why isn't it working? And Dharma says, Just because you have a samurai body doesn't mean you are immediately a true samurai. Uh, and he says, Listen, what is your purpose for going through this anyway? Like, why do you want to be a samurai? And Hachimara says, I want to be strong enough that my dad has to admit it, and then I can go outside without worrying about anything. And Dharma's like, Well, you're already outside. Like, no, no, without worrying, I said. So Dharma's like, Okay, so he is worried about his dad. But what are you going to do after your father does approve of you? And he's like, well, I'll go travel around space. And was like, all right, listen, kid. Over generations, the samurai have protected the galaxy, protected the planets, not to mention the planet's precious. And he's like, oh, I get it. They protect you, protect the princess. Like, listen, just fucking listen to me.
1: Shut up for a second.
0: You are a stupid kid. I am an old wise man. Listen to me. <laughs> Do you know why samurai protect princesses? And he's like, Well, because that's a samurai's heroism. And Dharma says, One day you will understand, basically. <laughs> he's like, God,
1: I fucking hate
0: kids. Hachimaru does say, like, whoa, so you mean that like you protected a princess? And Dharma's like, Don't bother asking about my past. You must start by asking who your strength exists for. Uh and Hachimaru Basically demonstrates that he is a stupid preteen uh, shitty kid by saying, like, you know, I've never met a regular girl, but uh, I don't know who I would protect. But I guess that the princess is beautiful and graceful and smart and honest and cute. I might consider doing it. You stupid kid. <laughs> uh, but we cut away from there uh, to a ship that this old samurai lord is on. And uh, his princess, who is also old like him, is laughing to herself because she's remembering the day that they first met. Uh, and she mentions that a new samurai has been born. And like her samurai, he was born from the dregs of the bottom, which that's why she felt nostalgic. Apparently, she has farsight ability and thus she was able to pr- pr- predict this. Um, and uh she says, yeah, it seems like it became a samurai using the crystal one of our young girls lost. And he's like, what the fuck? God damn it. One of our princesses <laughs> in training is screwed up. <laughs> and we see seemingly that princess in training as uh, this young black haired girl who is wearing, you know, traditional uh, kind of not quite a kimono. It's the kind the of kimono sh- that has like the short sleeves, very shrine maiden kind of clothing. Yes. And, uh, she, you know, someone is scolding her for having lost it. Her name is
1: Anne,
0: A-N-N. Uh, and uh, they argue over stuff for a bit And she's, while well, she's scolding her. And and uh, the other girl says, like, you know, uh, you, I mean, with this happening, like, you know, what if the samurai ritual happens without you? What if your fated samurai turns out to be some freak or some evil bad guy or an old man or some wimpy nerd with glasses? Mm. But Anne says... I think it'll be fine. I've got a wide strike, so... Oh, honey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but she says, I don't care as long as it's someone who will hear me out to the end. I'll be happy since, you know, I'm so talkative. Is she? I don't really get that impression. Maybe no, she's being ironic. She's,
1: she's, she's super talkative.
0: Hmm. We cut back to the more of the conversation between Dharma and Hachimaru at the end. Dharma says a princess is the one person who can sense the presence of the locker balls buried deep within the planet. The orb that uh, uh, became out of it, basically. It is also known as a planet crystal and it creates samurai, meaning that ultimately a princess who produces the strength, the planet, uh, a princess is who produces the strength that protects the planet. Every princess is bound by an invisible power to a single samurai without fail. Samurai and princess It is this pairing of fate. It creates a hero and we close on a split panel between Anne and Hachimaru together. So seemingly this is Hachimaru's faded princess. There's some interesting parts to this. Um, we're kind of still really deep into like, this is how everything works. And Naruto can get in the weeds of that too at times. Mm-hmm. Um, if it gets past that, I think that it might pay off in terms of like we'll just fully understand how all this shit works. Um, I don't know how I feel about just I I was actually more interested before we saw who Anne was. That's not a knock against her. I just liked there being the oh, there's going to be this future character that Hajimara was going to meet that is going to be important to him. Here she is! <laughs> And uh, also the artists are kind of really starting to wear on me, not in terms of the style, but in terms of how goddamn crowded this series feels at times. There is a lot happening on every single page when it's not just an action scene. So
1: on one hand, I wish this had kind of been part of the first chapter, because this is the first time that we actually feel like this series has some level of direction to it. Like mm-hmm. It feels like there's some kind of easy-to-understand narrative that's going to be here uh, beyond just, like, I don't know, he gets keys from Samurais to open a box, and I think something good happens? Mm-hmm. Like this is this is something where I'm like, okay, you're able to kind of understand this now. Uh, on the other hand, I'm very glad this isn't the, you know, maybe this shouldn't have been the chapter it was with, because this is the most just fucking limp-dick, boring premise that's <laughs> out there, man. I don't know, maybe it's ironic because he plays a lot of video games that he has the most fucking paint-by-numbers video game plot that's out there as, like, the central narrative to all of this. But I almost lost it when I was like, oh, he has to, like, fucking find and protect princesses? That's what the <laughs> fucking narrative of this story is? This is some fucking garbage, man. Why wouldn't you go with something more? Maybe they'll twist it on their head at some point and be like, Oh, princess is like an old archaic term. What it really means is just someone who's important to you, you want to protect. Like, it used to be like an old fealty term, but now it could just mean anyone significant for you, like a whole Disney kind of approach. But I'm really worried that at some point, it's just going to be like that scene in fucking uh, Return of the King where it's like, no man can kill me. And what's-her-name fucking pulls the helmet off. She's like, what about a a woman? And you're like, all right, man. I mean, you're working off of fucking, like, a hundred-year-old like the witch
0: king, like the witch king is just like.
1: I don't really. Fine. I don't even have gender. I don't think anymore. So I really wasn't trying to. T- whatever. I'm just gonna soul ghost kill you now. Just <laughs> being. Woman Listen,
0: I'm fun. actually really progressive. So I'm just gonna kill you too now.
1: <laughs> He's like, hey, I'm equal opportunity. Everyone dies to the soul sword. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, yeah.
1: yeah. I really don't have much to add. Like, it's cool that we have some kind of forward narrative to go with, but, like, it's just such a shitty, boring premise that you're like, I don't know how you make a second series, and the formula is so much more restrained than what Naruto's even was. I mean, I like Dharma,
0: specifically. Um, I also like... Some of the idea of the dynamic between a samurai, uh, a samurai specifically, you know, drawing power from their duty to protect someone, which is very much in line with what historical samurai were supposed to do. What defined a samurai was the fact that they pledged themselves to a, you know, a lord. Mm -hmm. And then if they didn't have a lord, then they then they were just a ronin. Um, But it's it is very much like a, by the way, this is what we're doing now. <laughs> so, yeah. What These two have a bond now. Why? Because you found the thing that you, yeah.
1: <laughs> like, it's just those things where, like, I just don't get why we spent four chapters not getting to this point, like faffing around with, like, a fucking team rocket, like, bandit group in a tank and shit like that, and, and Nana, Nanashi, or whatever. Like, one of those mm-hmm. things where, like,
0: What if she were the
1: princess? I'm like, I assume that, like, they're going to come back at some point and we'll see some, like, relevance to that whole subplot. But I'm like, why did we spend, like, three chapters if we just needed a character to walk up and be like, now listen here there, bucko, here's the story of this world. oh right dharma
0: Dharma dharma's gotta have like a a really inappropriate mentor voice he's gonna be he's gonna be phil from hercules
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh what are you doing there so you want to be
0: a samurai kid well (laughs) whoop-de-doo
1: suck my penis like i don't remember them saying that in hercules like (laughs) i'm getting a little bit of uh, frank in there (laughs) it's it's what danny devito would have wanted him to say (laughs)
0: All right, let's get into the last Sayuki. Uh, I'm sure that this pro this chapter probably played well with uh, a lot of our fans uh, because it's it's a very big Estelle chapter, and they and our our viewers love Estelle. It's ch- chapter fifteen, "Wish Upon a Star" part two. Estelle's woken up by Koharu after she and Rinosuke saved her, and Estelle's like, "What happened?" and Carv's like, "There's no time to explain." I have to go. And we
1: You're see not that she <laughs> <laughs> just she glows the... like, hmm. I really thought this was going to lead to like some heroic moment, not you teleporting away. You're like, humanity's doomed.
0: And instead of saying like Harada on, on her way back to her homeworld just says the, the, the end of the last Sayukure <laughs> And I Just ended three chapters early. <laughs> Rinosuke is fighting the large amalgam Karori thing. Uh, he seems to be doing okay at first. You know, cutting off some tentacles as it uh, approaches him. Uh, and, but he does admit to himself that he's struggling. He can't really attack it. He's got to focus on defense. But he does seem he does feel like he's actually getting uh, handling it well because. Uh, regenerating those tentacles is using up its strength. So he's like, even if I'm just defending myself, I'm whittling it down. So I think I can do this as long as my physical strength keeps up. And then a Karori crawls into his ear. He's like, where did this come from? Uh, And he realizes it's from when uh, the thing had grabbed his stealth before he was able to save her. So it was probably hanging out on him waiting for its chance, I guess. So it goes inside of his body. Uh, Meanwhile, the large Karori is still attacking him. So he's like, OK, and he uses his nyoi bow to just plunge a knife into his stomach in order to kill it. And he barfs the uh, dead karori up. And he's like, OK, I'm good. I I'm OK. Ow. And then he has to fight the large Karori with this wound in his chest. Hooray. We cut back to Estelle and Koharu. Estelle is like, you're not good. Why don't go over there? What can you do? And and Kohara says, I mean, I know that I you know have fake limbs, but you know, the Karori can't suck out my life force. I don't have any strength that it can take, uh, physically speaking, and I can at least be a shield for my big brother. So, it'll be fine. I'm not afraid. I'm going because I want to. And she floats off to go save Rinosuke And Estelle thinks to herself, Ah, huh, there goes Lingling. Ling. Why did I forget? We get more of a flashback and. Uh, She thinks to herself, I didn't choose this path because my mother said I should. It was it wasn't because I had to be like her. It was because I had always wanted to be her. If there ever came a day when my illness was cured and I could move my body. Normally, she was a klutz. She wasn't athletic at all. She wasn't very dependable, but she was very kind. And we get shots of Estelle from the TV show in her cut with memories of Koharu as they've been going together through this arc. Kaharo demonstrating that she's not afraid to do this, managing to comfort Estelle when she was getting scared. And Estelle thinks to herself, she could be brave if it was for someone else's sake. That was the kind of girl I wanted to become. And she wipes her tears out of her eyes, says, I'm not sick anymore. Now I can run fast. My arms are built up and I can fight now. There's no reason for me to be afraid. And the fear building up inside of her mo is now completely gone. She stands up and says, now I'm strong, so there's no reason I can't be Ling Ling. She thanks Kaharu for being by her side and for showing her the way. I'll be right there. And Rionosuke nearly gets caught by the large Karori. still arrives just in the nick of time to smash the tentacles as they come towards him. And she says, I came here because I wanted to. And if it's my own biggest desire, then I can fight against anyone. And Ryunosuke's like, All right, but what do we do now? And Estelle's like, I guess we can't win at this rate, so we have to level up. Until now, I can only rely on this outfit, but I'm no longer the weakling I used to be. And she snaps her nyoibo in half to make it into two maces. Dual wielding. This is a cool chapter. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I I like what we got from Estelle. This is like, because I've kind of mentioned for a while now, I've been like, hey, I'm not really digging that Sayuki. Like, I haven't really reveal it. This is the first chapter. I was like, yeah, I'm digging it. Like, I kind of feel like I can get it where it's like, hey, we're going to be, we're going to be a shonen battle series. Like we are, yeah. but we're going to include some like kind of dark imagery and weird, twisted designs and things like that, which is not alien for shonen jump series, just alien to how the first chapter treated in comparison to this. Uh, but I still like it. Like I think it's a really cool moment for Estelle. Uh, we have more than one chapter this week that's basically about one girl watching from afar as another one like and one's is everything a lot she wants better than the other. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this one's good, but but I do like that moment of her being like, I want to be Lingling, Ling, and then she sees Kohaku run off because even though she knows it's dangerous, what she wants to do, and she thinks to herself, Oh, well, there goes Lingling. Ling. It's a cool moment, like, and it's it's not dropped to us at once. We first found out about the Ling Ling shit, like, seven chapters ago. It's been brought up several times since then, but it was a really cool payoff to be able to have her sit there and be like, oh, that's her right there, you know?
0: Well, and besides the Ling Ling connection thing, we've also seen the bond between Estelle and Koharu very subtly growing over these few chapters. And I do like the fact that it's Koharu who is the impetus for this big evolution. Sure. Estelle had the bond she was forming with Ryunosuke, but that's not the big important thing. And it's nice for Koharu to feel like an important character in this series. That is actually about her. Like, you know, (laughs) let's be real. Um, I do like a, a lot of the stuff that is in this. The only thing I have to say is that like, even when the last Sayuki is good now, it's, a good example of a typical Shonen jump series, as opposed to when it started off, it was a great example of an atypical Shonen jump series. and yeah. I really miss that. That's um, so it. It, yeah, I mean, if we're going to like just is like, okay, it's Battle series like, all right, it's, you know, going to be, it's going to be good. It's uh, at, at certain points it feels like, um, but I mean, I'll miss the, the occasional good chapter like this, but I, already really missed the series that we could have had so (laughs) yeah uh I don't really Uh, we're gonna go quickly through Tokyo Shinobi Squad Chapter 3 Taiga Shimizu meeting another member of uh, Jin's crew uh, Taiga Shimizu he's their big data guy who does all of their accounting and management and stuff like that Um, and Apparently, the scroll that he had was uh, super memorization. That was the scroll they had. He could remember stuff. So he pff, threw a book and then recites a bunch of weird factoids. And then they're like, okay, let's go do the job. We're going to a research center in order to get data retrieved. And they get onto an elevator. And then old Steve Rogers gets on the elevator and is like, before we start, does anyone want to get off? Oh. He's there to kill him for some reason, and uh, Taiga it turns into a tiger man, and so he shoots him in the head, but he caught the bullet in his mouth, and then he beats the guy up, and nearly sends N flying out of the building, and Jin has to use his ability to pull him back in, and that's the end of the chapter.
1: I can't wait until next week. We're going to discuss next week's chapter, right, Nick? I don't really have any desire to. Aww. I guess that's the end for Tokyo Shinobi Squad. And based off our record, it's going to run and jump for 14 more months. years.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God, if this series becomes like the next My Hero Academia level series, we they can't, like,
1: they kidding can't, me? <laughs> they cancel My Hero for this. They're so, like, we only need one superhero nah, series. They're like, but it's not really a superhero series to like, they're superhero sus. Now get out of here Horikoshi, you old fucking worthless shit.
0: <laughs> Just throw him out on his ass.
1: <laughs> you old turd and take your plans for the next seven arcs with you and they throw <laughs> it into a fire.
0: Also, we're going to deliberately destroy all evidence that this series ever existed. You won't be able to get the DVDs or the manga ever again. We're <laughs> going gonna... to go into your house and destroy your issues that you've already got.
1: We're going to delete it from your mind, Men in Black style. Like, no. That's right, Nick. Kyokajiro never existed. Ah!
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, alright, we've got to discuss then uh we never learn?
1: Is that what's next? Oh, aren't we talking Beast Children?
0: Uh well no, I didn't say I had anything to talk about about it. Oh, okay. Well, I, I thought we it, was it was a fine it was a fine chapter this week, but I didn't beast have Beast
1: chapter Beast Children, Chapter Four, a Place for Rod. Oh, okay, fine. Nothing all right. happens. All, all right. right. Well we just had to some people like go. They're like, are they not talking about it anymore? We got we gotta put it in there. There's got to be somebody like the officiator of, of uh, the podcast.
0: If something happens, we'll talk about it. OK,
1: mm,
0: if something right. if something noteworthy happens, we will talk about it there. There we go. Or if it starts to, you know, get consistently, you know, interesting and worth talking about. He's then we'll
1: play in the next game. It's
0: going to be Food words is ending. We've got to have another series to talk about. So, Bef. Seven Deadly Sins is ending soon. We've got to have another series to talk about.
1: Now that, so. we thought that already. Who knows? That could this cha- <laughs> the chapter this week is
0: called the final battle, Chris.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it just followed the chapters called epilogue.
0: <laughs> it's gonna be like chapters chapter three hundred seventy three, the end. And then it's gonna be like, wait a minute, that was five hundred chapters ago.
1: <laughs> the- you liar. You goddamn asshole. Uh, chapter okay.
0: 423, this is the final chapter. That's an interesting title. Why is it 700 chapters before the end?
1: <laughs> All right, let's talk about We Never Learned, question 115. The clockwork fireflies yearn for the snow flurries of the pizza bet, part two. So, we start off in a flashback as a younger Ogata. It doesn't look like she's that much younger, but a, a younger Ogata is about to start high school when she's praying at the grave of her grandmother, who in a flashback within a flashback is asking her to play a game and her grandmother says nah forget it you've got a ways before you can beat your grand-grand and uh, Ogata kind of makes the promise that she's like I'm gonna get better at games and I'm gonna understand you better uh and I'll, I'll understand everybody better and we go in to the essentially one of the meetings where it's like you guys are really bad at these, you, like, curious yeah, He's like, you, you can't continue doing this. You, you guys have to get on the things you're good at again. Uh, there's a moment where Fumita walks into a room, and it's astonishing that she succeeds at doing this. She trips, somehow grabs both skirts, uh, and in one swift motion to falling, manages to yank them both down uh, so perfectly that neither girl even has a chance to respond to it uh, as both skirts fall, they're both still just, like, in their standing-around posture. It's mm-hmm. it's incredible.
0: Uh, also, she came up from behind them, and yeah. her hands reached the fronts of their skirts. So,
1: it's, it's I don't a, know how
0: she managed to hook her fingers in there, but she did it.
1: It's a true feat, honestly. Maybe that's... Like that would be difficult to do on purpose, mm-hmm. so... <laughs> Maybe that's Fumito's real talent, the ability to yank skirts down from any angle... Even when it seems physically impossible. Yeah,
0: she needs to give up on astronomy and just go for that and make that make a career of that.
1: Uh, we see a little bit that Femino has had a relationship with Ogata because both of them were <laughs> being tutored at the same time. Uh, she asks him like, "Hey, why don't you come home with me? You know, it'd be nice to get to know each other a little more." She's like, "Nah, I have to. I have to help out at home." And uh, she's up there, kind of learning to herself. It looks like she's studying cards, the card game her mother gave her, her grandmother gave her, and then. Uh, she hears some downstairs, her dad calling, and Fumino's there. And she's like, yeah, I mean, it wasn't too hard to figure out. You smell like Udon all the time. And uh, then I found this there's place. An Oga-
0: there is an Ogata Udon restaurant here. Yeah, so
1: so <laughs> it kind of just made sense. And she's like, fuck, I guess she is a genius after all. <laughs> <laughs> but there's the whole thing. And then we see, like, when Fumino was helping out the store. And she notices that Fumito like, walks over and is like, hey, uh... Those, the family over there has a bunch of small children, so I bet they're going to want water instead of tea. And that old grandma over there, she looks really old, so I think her teeth might be too, like, soft to be able to, to chew. So I think she's going to want, like, kind of softer noodles. And Ogata's like, how the fuck do you know this? And she's like, I mean, I don't know. Like, I just do. There's a boob joke. Doesn't really matter. Uh, the whole thing is basically just, like, Ogata saying, I just don't get people. And mm-hmm. then there's a whole moment where is like, oh, hey, sees the board games. It's like, wow, your grandmother must have really loved me. And Nogata's like, I don't know if she did. And she keeps thinking about how every time she tried to ask her grandmother to play a game, her response was like, nah, you've got a ways to go before you beat me. And she's like, I don't get it. What was that feeling? Did she like me or did she not? She drew all these games for me, but she wouldn't play with me. And Femino just abruptly brings up how she's into stars. And she's like, well, you know, I kind of found out something about you, so I wanted to tell you about me and all the stuff I love. And she's like, oh, cool. And she's talking about all these sorts of things. And then she looks out the window. She's like, oh, it's snowing. This is great. And from afar, Ogata. Wait a is, minute. No, it's not. We won't see any stars tonight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it sucks. Fuck you, Snow. She, Ogata is looking from afar and thinks, ah, I see now. She's the me I want to be. But she's the person I cannot become she's like, why are you staring at me? And she's like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> so we go back to the present day. And apparently Ogata has just told all this to uh, Uega. And he's like, so you want to be like her? And she's like, yes, but it's impossible. And that's why I don't like myself. But I've already accepted it. And it thanks to you that I'm growing in my own right. Compared to then, I understand people a lot better now. Uh, and, you know, you uh, Firmino walks by... And it's like, oh, hey, you guys are still out here. And then she starts chastising Yuega because she's like, you know, Ogata's out here and her shoulders are kind of exposed. It's really cold. She's going to get chilly. Why aren't you giving her a jacket or something like that? And they have this this whole argument. And Ogata is, again, watching from afar. And she's saying, like, you know, she's she's considerate of me immediately. She understands. Narayuki, uh, you know, and, and Yuega looks really happy with her. They must really trust each other. I feel, I feel proud of them. Uh, and I think I'm starting to understand people a little bit better. And then she, like, kind of trips in between them, like kind of like accidentally pushes through them. And she's like,
0: well, she very del- she very obviously, like, puts herself between them, basically. Yeah, she
1: does it and says to herself, like, I like," she's thinking, why am I doing this? I don't I don't really get it. Kind of breaks the moment up. And everyone's like, oh, OK, I guess we'll just head our own ways and everything like that and uh ogata is walking away and she's like so i thought if i understand if i understood others better it would help me like myself better but all i see are more ugly qualities in myself and that's why i don't like myself and then we get the final uh, the final page which is just kind of a collage of different seeds as the narrator says the next day from then on Ogata stopped coming to the study sessions in the library.
0: This chapter really hit hard for me. Um, it's a weird feeling because it's, it's about something that I don't have a first person uh, reference for. But I know people that have been through things similar to this. Um, I know that it's kind of a thing, uh, in a lot of online fandoms to diagnose characters with you know forms of uh, being on the on the spectrum, or to say like oh they've got Asperger syndrome or something like that. Um, and the series has not specifically said if there's anything like that going on with Ogata, but it is quite clear that she's got something going on in her head that a lot of people don't deal with. And that prevents her from understanding the emotions that she feels. And that's why she doesn't understand other people. And that's really, really, really. um, It's sad uh, seeing her go through this and not knowing that a lot of what she's feeling is just, you know, normal teenage girl stuff. You know, she can't relate to people and she, you know, feels Upset when she doesn't get certain things and she doesn't understand that that's normal and she doesn't understand that jealousy is a normal thing and so she thinks that she is awful for feeling them because she doesn't understand how normal they are. It's, you know... Whenever I feel emotions like this, I've always been... I think, at least, I've always been really good at being able to... Break it down into like, this is why I'm feeling this and this is why that's okay, And it kind of takes the power away from it. Um, Nicole, my girlfriend, uh, suffers from anxiety issues and she has talked to me about them and she says and she says that, you know, it's frustrating when you feel something and either you don't know why Or you know that the reason you're feeling it should not upset you as much as it does. And the fact is, humans are not strictly logical creatures. And that's why Ogata doesn't get that, is because she's such a very cold, logical person uh, most of the time. And she doesn't understand her own emotions. And the fact is that just sometimes your brain doesn't want you to be happy. Uh, it doesn't matter that what conditions you're in you can be a very successful person you can have a good family life you can have people who care about you you can have a good job and you can be really really unhappy just because and sometimes your brain doesn't want you to be happy and the only way to deal with it is to physically force your brain to be different Um, I'm not saying like, oh, if you've got, you know, any form of depression, just immediately resort to taking drugs for it. But sometimes you have to Uh, you should have, you know, an expert help you out with that. Don't say like, oh, the guy on the Internet who has the goofy manga podcast with his other goofy friend said that I should take drugs to make myself feel there. No, I don't mean that. But also you shouldn't feel ashamed if you have to. Um, And there's a lot that is not being said by this chapter. That I think gives it more of a kind of broad um, parallel in that sense. Like, just. (sighs) I've spent most of the past day thinking about this chapter because I feel really, really bad for Ogata in it. That's basically it.
1: I like the part where she walked in and pulled their skirts down. really (laughs) funny to me. Uh, no, I, 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 I agree with all the sentiments there, and uh, I really just want to point out that I it's like, this these are the moments when I'm like, this is, like, I, I made a joke at the start of this week on Twitter where the <laughs> skirt pulling scene where I was like, no, no, guys, it's one of the best written manga jump right now. And then I, I, re- I posted that immediately upon seeing that scene, and then the chapter that followed is probably one of the most, like, well-written chapters in modern jump. It, it's it's astonishing how good the author is at writing his characters and just driving those points home. Just like the weirdness of like I, I don't like these two being close together and just like forcing herself to kind of trip to separate them. Yeah, and then immediately and she doesn't know like, why. Why did so she just that?
0: like I must be a bad person?
1: And yeah. sh- and she's like you know the whole nuance of like I just watched. Famino come out here and i, I want to be more like her and all she's doing is being considerate of me and all i did in response was try to tear away something that was making her happy in that moment and i don't understand it and i hate it it's an ugly mm-hmm. quality about myself like it's just well written well executed and it's something that I'm, I'm interested in following and i'll be honest you know normally when you get these kinds of like the end of chapter like the, the end of like and they were never seen again or something like that you usually take it with a grain of salt but we never Learn has actually been better than most series at actually kind of like not pulling away from the big decisions it makes so i'll be curious to see if this actually sticks like maybe I don't, i'm sure it's not going to just be like oh god has gone forever but maybe this does actually shift up the group dynamic a little bit, or maybe she does just not come to studying anymore or Hmm. something like that.
0: Yeah. Um, Ogata has been probably one of the most underutilized characters, uh, in this series, um, to this point. And it does kind of recontextualize a lot of what she's been through in this, knowing that this is, you know, what's going on in her head the entire time. Um, it really hits hard and I'm curious to see where this is going to go. And I hope that she gets better and she feels happier because I really feel bad for her.
1: <laughs> Don't worry, Nick. I bet she's going to get her peanuts.
0: Do you, have you seen a goodwill hunting with the yes. snow with Robin Williams and uh, no it's Matt one of those Damon? Ones
1: I need to watch okay. at some point.
0: There's, there's a scene in it where, Robin Williams just says to Matt Damon, just like, it's not your fault.
1: Oh, yeah, I I know.
0: I know. Yeah, I know. And he just says it like over and over and over again. It's like, no, it's not your fault. And until he finally breaks down. And I wanted to to like do that with the guy. Just like, no, it's okay. It's it's not your fault that you don't understand this. You know? (laughs) Oh, yeah. So give her her peanuts. Yes. Okay. let's move on. Now, to Dr. Stone, for a much more positive chapter, Um, it is Z equals 109, Great Escape. Suika is thinking to herself, she and Ginro are going to make the perfect tag team and get the science lab out of enemy territory. So she heads below deck, sneaks in using her perfect sneak technique of rolling around in her melon rind.
1: Rolling around at the speed of sound. It's
0: always worked to this point, so sure, why not? Who am I, I to question it? Gotta
1: follow my rainbow. Sonic Adventure 2, Nick. I man. know. Fucking get cultured. I
0: have to keep moving on. <laughs> Don't know what I say. Only one, one way, way to find way. out.
1: Just keep on moving over. That's it, let me say. No time <laughs> for guessing. One.
0: Follow my plan instead. <laughs> Anyway, there's a truck chasing her now, and uh, yeah.
1: But she has to run really fast. She's gonna get crushed alive, or it'll just knock her rings out. Because you know,
0: yeah, I'll bet that I'll bet this Suika has uh, has that kind of ring protection thing. Anyway, she disguises the science lab thing using the camouflage that's been laid out ahead of time. And they're like, okay, well, wh- wh- how are we gonna? Where are we gonna? Uh, Senku and everyone else are kind of like peanut gallerying stuff because they're like, okay, well, Suika's not gonna be able to, you know, do this all by herself. And Kog is like, Ginro comes through and it counts. I believe in you, Ginro. On the deck, Ginro's like, someone else is here to take care of things. I'll, I don't have to worry about it. I'm just going to leave. <laughs> and He scrambles off with a goofy expression on his face while saying to himself, ultimate move, not my problem. <laughs> what a goober.
1: <laughs> what a guy.
0: So... He starts to, uh, he gets ready to just dive off the side of the bow while everyone's mm-hmm. distracted. But then he's like, uh, he looks back and he sees Kinro, uh, on the pile of other petrified people. And he just, like, all right, just have him up on his back and decides to escape just with him and his petrified carcass.
2: We're getting out of here together, Kinro. Um,.
0: At that moment, Suika starts making a bunch of noise by bouncing around, and people are like, what the hell is going on? And Ginro's like, well, why is she doing that? And then he realizes, like, well, she, she, she might get caught, and they're going to petrify her. She's going to die. Uh, oh, there's no time for me to worry about that. We've got to get away, Ginro, right? <laughs> and he looks down at Kinro's petrified face, and his, which is going, Ginro, Ginro... He's a ghost now. But we see that in truth, Ginro is actually thinking to himself while he's petrified, like, I know that you weren't on the ship when that happened, so you might still be alive. But I can't hear a thing. All I see is darkness. I have no way to be sure, but I believe in you. Even here in the dark, I just know it. That is what I'd say to you. Think hard. Think about what you're meant to do right now. And Ginro looks down and is like, even without words, I can tell what you're saying. That super serious face of yours says it all. Sorry, Kinro. Hang in there just a little longer because I'll get you back with Senku to save everyone here for real. And while Suika is distracting people, he gets over to a mechanism to lift up the science lab and starts levering it up so that it will go up above deck. Uh... Eventually, they they catch the melon rind that's been rolling around. And they're like, "What is this?" Wait a minute, it's just some sort of fruit husk. It's completely empty. And then right beneath them, doors open up leading below deck, and the science lab pops up out of it and drives off the side of the ship. And Sweeka's driving it. It sounds like a seems like a bad idea to me. But anyway, she's driving it and gets it away. And it's a and it's a aquatic and can drive on land. So it just sails over to shore drives up and everyone gets into the science lab uh ginro included and they have made it to safety oh but they're surrounded now by all the people who have, have chased after it and they're like oh is there some sort of weird beast come up here and they're like wait a minute of course they don't know that you know vehicles can move on their own so they think it must be some sort of animal let's make shit let's make poo. so they could can- they make a bunch of chemicals and shells and stuff together to make something that smells exactly like poop. And they combine it with the fuel that they uh, that the vehicle is giving off so that it smells like it's farting and shitting and all sorts of stuff. And they drive off so everyone just thinks that it's some wild animal that's escaped. And everyone's like, the escape was a total success! But I want to draw specific attention to everyone's faces at the end because... All the guys are in the background with bits of poop on sticks to be like, yay, poop! And Suika's still driving, which seems like a terrible idea. A, she's like six. B, she needs glasses to see.
1: <laughs> I forgot she does.
0: <laughs> and Kohaku and and Amarillus are just like, why do you guys have shit on sticks right now?
1: <laughs> I do like that it's like the two characters who were like, Ugh fucking idiots fucking (laughs)
2: boys
1: (laughs) why are you excited about poop i don't understand so this is a
0: very enjoyable chapter all around
1: really like it's worth addressing that like the the stuff with kindro and ginro is is kind of heartbreaking the moment of him like crying as he's like lifting his brother's Pathetically petrified body take his brother's
0: corpse with him
1: and he's trying he's like I desperately I'm gonna get out with you like it's it's this brotherly bond that's really sweet to see like that you know mm-hmm. the entire time Ginro or yeah Ginro has been kind of a shithead but he really does care about his brother and even mm-hmm. before he decided he's like I'm gonna help out the whole team he was like I'm gonna get out of here with my brother it's, it's a very sweet moment
0: Mm-hmm. even his in his selfishness he was like i've got to save my brother so all yeah, right a good moment for him and a cool chapter all around
1: let's talk about seven Dead the sands chapter 315 the final battle this is gonna go super quick because not a lot yeah. happens it's uh, fight yeah it's basically a whole big fight uh there's a whole moment where the demon lord's like oh you suck and Melodius is like nope and when I go, I'm going to disappear from this world and I'm going to save Zeldrus. He's like, wait, what is. Hold, hold on. You're, you're handled in this scenario. Zeldrus, what about me? He's like, I'm going to kill you.
0: I <laughs> fucking love the Emperor's reaction to that because he's like, wait a minute, you want to kill me? Hey!
1: Rude. <laughs> <laughs> like, my dude, what'd you expect? Uh, and then he's like, Oh, you shouldn't have come here with Elizabeth. She's dead weight. And he teleports over to her. He's like, Ha, I've won. She's like, Fuck you, I'm not dead weight. I'm here to beat you. And she <laughs> uses some spells to like knock him away. Uh, we don't see how the whole fight ends, because we have to teleport over to like the big everyone fight that's going on against Indula or whatever its name is. Yeah, Indula. And uh, it's very strong. And it shoots out a bunch of spores that they're like, oh no, if any of these like land, it's gonna destroy all Britannia, so we gotta save ourselves from them. So it's a whole bunch of people like fighting and doing stuff. Uh Bond specifically saves King by like kicking one of the spores away from him. Or actually sorry, one of the tails away from him. Uh, and then It's basically like someone had a checklist of things they were like, we need to get this done before the end. And like maybe you reach the epilogue. He's like, Fuck! I never So Merlin's like, Berlin's like Pawn here, use this, and it's like boom! Oh, his uh, his sacred weapon or whatever. <laughs> it's fucking like uh, it's like one of those. All right, things. my nunchuck, my nunchaku thing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those four pronged staffs, and you're just like cool, I guess. I I kind of forgot that the seven deadly sins all had their own like celestial yeah. weapon thing because it really only matters for yeah. like two of them. But
0: yeah, other than Diane and King and Eskinor, it's never really been an important part of the way that they fight. so.
1: I just like that it's just... Because, like, you know,
0: like all of King's ability to revolve around Shastaful, and Diane's hammer has been emphasized a lot and Escanor, you know, well, he stores the sun inside of his axe and that's it.
1: So, I, I just like that it was like, Bond, use this. He's like, what the fuck? You just had it this whole time? I guess. <laughs>
0: uh, let's talk about the Promised Neverland. Chapter 138, Demon Search, Part 1. First of all, at the beginning of this chapter, we see uh, Victor is experimenting with um, some sort of demon rat thing, uh, feeding it something which causes it to explode, grow. I don't know, but it uh, it might turn it into like a more monstrous form of itself. Anyway, Uh he says everything is going according to the, to Norman the boss's plan. The imperial capital, the evil blooded. There's nothing to worry about. And then we cut over to Don and Gilda, who are with Hayato. And uh, I'm gonna say it as Aishi. That's the. I, I feel like that's probably the most likely pronunciation without spelled. Anyway, they're looking around trying to find Sonju and Mujiga. At this point, they haven't really found anything. But uh, as they you know are You know, like trying to track stuff, Hayato was really impressed with their tracking abilities. But they mentioned, like, actually, Aishi and her dogs are what's really amazing because, you know, they find everything for us to, you know, actually investigate. They don't overlook any clues that we would have a hard time noticing. Uh, And also, you know, they emphasize the fact that, yeah, she's also a really good sharpshooter, too. And uh, she's five cents out of this world and her sense of smell and hearing inside are all good. And she saves Don from a poisonous spider that was sneaking up on him by throwing like, oh, it's a knife. It just looks like a screwdriver from one angle anyway, uh, by just throwing a knife at it and killing it. And uh, so Don and Gilda, when they have a little bit of time to themselves, they're like, yeah, this is, I mean, she's really skilled She's a good protector, an assassin, and also surveillance agent. We can never let our guard down. We're constantly being watched by her and her dogs. So Gilda's like, I don't know, are we gonna be able to protect Sanju and Mujica? And Don's like, No, no, no! It's how are we going to protect them? We're gonna do it, but we just have to figure out a way. And they're also like, Okay, well, hmm, maybe we can figure out what she was, th- what she's thinking. But she doesn't understand human language and she only talks to her dogs. So Don's like alright, I'm going to try and be friends with them. That didn't work. <laughs> All that really comes from that. Um, the next day, uh, Gilda comes across a very odd looking track and they're like, okay, well this seems like a, a dangerous area because there's probably wild demons nearby. And she's dogs start uh, reacting to something uh, and Hayata's like, ah, well, you know, this is kind of difficult because you have to search for demons while staying away from them. And a tree isn't really a tree. And it turns and it's actually a demon that was uh, holding still. Uh, Aisha gets set to shoot it, but Dawn throws a rock at it uh, to provoke it into chasing after him. And they're able to uh, escape from it by splitting up and uh, then reuniting. And Hayat like, why did you try and handle that in such a dangerous way? I mean, it would have been easier if we had just killed it. And Don says, well, I mean, it was just one demon. It was a good we had good terrain to escape. And if we were to shoot it with bullets, then gunfire could have drawn people to, to us. We don't want to uh, get attention. And Hayato's like, well, we could have used a bow and arrow. And Don's like, eh, I figured if we didn't have to kill it, that would have, that was going to be best. Night falls. Hayato goes to collect firewood. Don and Gilda have another, uh, have another powwow and Gilda's like points out hey those tracks that we saw earlier the footsteps uh, were like the horse thing that was with Sanju and Mujica. so maybe we've actually found a clue to lead us to them um, and Don's like what do we do then you know if it turns out to be them I mean we're going to encounter them and we, we've got to make sure that they you know get, don't get killed uh, and at that moment Aichi comes up to them and is like I see so you two are planning to let the evil blooded escape Yes, that's right. I pretend to be mute this entire time, but I am actually quite sophisticated and speak very properly. <laughs> okay, so all right, um, we knew this chap, this character, for one other chapter, and Ooh, twist—they're not how they, th- they seem to be.
1: I mean, it's... like it wasn't like we were led to believe that they didn't understand human language or anything like that. I like this wasn't like right. a gotcha moment or anything like that. Just like oh you know everyone in the series is very good and very smart so like that's sort of the theme that's always existed so it's like okay um i guess it's fun to like what I, <laughs> I guess it's fun to jump over and see what don and gilder are doing especially while like we're dealing with some pretty crazy high concept stuff over on the other side of the story
0: damn is. It was an all right chapter on its own, but it really feel, felt like they should have had more establishment of who Aishi was. If this is going to be a big deal, like, oh, what's she going to do about this situation? Ooh, so it was, I mean, who is she? <laughs> That's why so much of this chapter is dedicated to like she's so skilled at tracking and shooting and sensing and ooh, to building her up in the same chapter that you have this twist in. And it's like, oh, OK, fine. Let's close on Black Clover. There's no One Piece.
1: Yeah, let's talk about Black Clover, page 209. Wish, Asta, and you know, are super strong. All right, what are our MVPs for the week, Nick? (laughs) There is literally nothing to talk about this chapter. Asta goes to try to kill the devil and doesn't because it can move its heart. It strikes back. They're okay. And Nero is like, I believe in Asta. That's basically it, man. There's there's some actions if you can really get into it. But, uh, hey, we've, we've been through this road many times. We don't need to go down it again.
0: It does. There are a couple of things in this chapter that I do like. Uh, I like the way that the devil reacts after he's been heavily wounded because he, like, a whole bunch of mouths appear all over his body and they're all saying different, you know, uh, demented things. And then each of them is using power words to cast a whole bunch of spells at once. That's, that's cool and freaky and, and a couple of ways. And I also like that, you know, okay. If we're going to go down the road of like this character believes in Asta immediately, With Sekiro, like, okay, it makes sense because she's been there as Nero the entire time, so she's gotten to know Asta. It's like, okay, it does mean something to have that character say that. We know what she has seen of him and why she believes in him. But the fact that so many characters immediately after their introduction are like, that Asta kid is really impressive. I believe in him. It's like, okay, that doesn't really mean as much to have that said again, even if this time it is actually legit. Like, okay, I buy into that as
1: It'd be nice if any significant character didn't believe in Asta. Even the devil believes in Asta. He's (laughs) He's so strong. He's specifically (laughs) noted that the sword is one of the few things that could take him out and that the kid is strong. So it's not a surprise when he's really competent at it. Mm -hmm. There you go. Yeah. It's it's, it's, uh, mostly an action chapter.
0: All right. Let's name our favorite series for the week, Chris.
1: Uh, so my favorite chapter this week. You know, I'm going to start this. My MVP for the week is going to be a... Ogata, but but I'm going to give a very strong second hand to Estelle. I really like that moment for Estelle. I thought it was super cool, uh, and I want to give props there. Mm-hmm. My All chap- right. but my chapter of the week Eden Zero I, that was a fucking hysterical chapter I don't think it's happened yet I don't know if I've given Eden Zero the chapter of the week before but I laughed my ass off reading that chapter I don't know why but Captain and Connor and me just fucking clicked immediately oh you're going to be why didn't you make Whee! me the character of the week then boy <laughs> there'd be too many angry people <laughs> Lyra got to have this long fucking dramatic thing about her own, like, self-worth and the the pain she goes Steph through. Lyra
0: manages to, manages to find the courage to fight. Ginro manages to prove that he's not a total waste. No, 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 no. Captain Cotter was really silly.
1: I'm oh like, gosh, you don't get it. He talks in, like, old piratey slang and shit.
0: He refuses to let go let go of the wheel of the ship when the ship has completely disintegrated around him.
1: <laughs> it's such a stupid notion, but it's insanely cool. <laughs>
0: uh, I'm going to go with We Never Learn and Ogata, double whammy. Uh, I'm going to be there with you and say, like, Estelle had a really good chapter. Uh, Ginra had a really good chapter. But, uh, I mean, the, this chapter, We Never Learn, really, really hit me in the heart. Uh, so I'm going to double up on that. So,
1: I want to note that Gray Bob also thought Captain Connor should be the MVP this week. Uh, there you go, Gray Bob. You and Chris. Yeah, unfortunately, just like that though, uh, it was a vote against a sea of, of contra- or, uh, contrarians. Uh, as last Sayuki and Estelle were the uh, the, the top ones. They there, were the audience. If you guys ones. can double up, so can I. So. <laughs>
0: Um, before we get into all of the, uh, thanks and all of that stuff, uh, do we have a recommendation that we're taking?
1: We do. Let okay. me just see. Ah, eh, fuck it. I, this one's been recommended by a billion people. We, we read something that was just garbage and not particularly good. And at this point, I want to read something that I know is really good. And that is why everybody, the next time we do an episode, we are continuing the JoJo's Bizarre Pokémon Adventure by going to jail, Nick. We go into Stone Ocean, baby.
0: Did you turn to Titus O'Neil there for a second? Oh,
1: <laughs> oh, oh, oh. I'm gonna trip under the ground now, <laughs> Lying underneath my desk.
0: All right, that's gonna was gonna be for next time. Well, not next. Nate, maybe not next no, week.
1: God, no! It takes forever to read that fucking series.
0: Next week or the week after, we'll probably have a little bit of a Food Wars discussion just looking back on the series as a whole as opposed to, like, man, this last arc sucked um, and how we feel about it. Uh, if you would like to watch the show live or listen to it live, we broadcast on smashcast.tv slash and twitch.tv slash Thursdays, not Thursdays, Wednesdays. It was Thursdays like a few months ago, <laughs> Wednesdays around 730 p.m. Eastern time. You can also follow us on Twitter for updates so you know the exact time that we start. At the memoir Podcast is the official podcast account, and your hosts are at Rolo T and at Nick F Time. You can also check out our past episodes on YouTube, on iTunes, on weeklymongerecap.podbean.com. If you do that, be sure to leave subscribe, comment, rating, all that stuff to help out the algorithms and help us to rise up above the woodworkers before we just go over to the manga and animation section of iTunes. Anyway.
1: One day.
0: On our Discord server, you can vote for what you think is the favorite, it, what you think is the MVP and the best chapter of the week uh, using the spreadsheet that Ninja X3i has set up for us. That also includes all the recommendations that we have set up, which is uh, very helpful for us, lets us know how many of you are interested in each given series. And you can also see what series we have covered already to this point. Uh, if you want to send in to that, edit that, you can also ask us questions on our via email, uh, weeklymagarecap at com. We would like to extend special thanks to our Patreon supporters. Your spell allows us to create all sorts of fun bonus content for you guys to enjoy. Steve Manor, Tyre cars You can check out his work in a bunch of different places. Infamous Planet for all sorts of stuff, including helping to coordinate a special thing that we uh, got this uh, week. We'd like to extend special thanks to Milo Stillitz and Wensleydale Cheddar for the opening animation that uh, we have for Weekly Manga Recap. There's a lot of uh, references to uh, ongoing stuff that happens in the show, ongoing running gags. Um, just there's a reference to the JoJo's Bizarre Pokemon Adventure in there. It's really good stuff, and it is incredibly flattering that you guys took the time to work together on that and put it together.
1: Yeah, it is immensely cool. It even has like uh, the uh, we uh, what is it we are uh, like an uh, influence to that in the theme song that's with it. Too. Mm-hmm. It's extremely cool.
0: You can check out uh, Milo's stuff on SoundCloud.com slash milo jack Stillets, And Winsley Dale Cheddar has got his own YouTube channel. And uh, you can follow him on Twitter, at Winsley Dale Cheddar. And uh, that's going to do it. So thanks, guys, for joining in. And we will see you all next week.
1: Indeed. Yes. Oh, no, I was just thinking. I was like, what was my favorite iconic catchphrase from... Early, like late 90s, early 2000s WWE, and I was like, Funakai, and indeed. That's not with the name. Kayentai.
0: No. Funaki and Kayentai.
1: Yeah, Funaki, yeah.
0: You said Funakai.
1: Oh, well, I'm dumb and I'm bad at everything.
0: How dare you disrespect SmackDown's number one announcer, Chris?
1: SmackDown, number one announcer! <laughs> he Just, was amazing. That was a job. <laughs> He's their Japanese announcer now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's super cool. Anyway, goodbye, guys.